and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Thursday afternoon. Joining me from New York City, I believe he went to the Knicks-Rockets game on Wednesday night, which the Knicks won, is Tim Bonteps. It's true. It was a Knicks-Rockets on Wednesday. We're going to be at Knicks-Wizards Thursday night. Both probably not quite as good as the two Denver games. I One I saw on Tuesday in Philly and one I'll see on Friday in Boston. Probably won't be quite the same level. What a time to spend extra days in the Northeast. Got to be great. Joining us in from Dallas, Texas. I don't know the last game you went to. Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. Hey, I, the, the Mavs just finished a seven-game homestand. I mean, it's not exactly the bomb temps schedule, but I've been working. Listen, there's, no, there's nothing more exciting than the windy sleep updates. But the Bond Temp schedule updates rank right below. Really, really close. Very exciting. I was just trying yeah, to preview Mavericks, later in the pod. That's all. The Mavericks went to the West Coast and uh, got a rude awakening from the resurgent Lakers. Ooh. So we had a significant trade, major trade. I see people saying blockbuster. I have a <laughs> high standard for blockbuster. I mean, is it's this, all NBA forward. I mean, it gets two-time All-NBA. What clar- what qualifies. classifies as a as a blockbuster trade? What's it's what's least, your threshold? I don't know. You got to be as good as Pascal Siakam. I think that's I, a good. I, I, I feel think that's like a good baseline for it. I feel like two time All NBA still in prime. It's at least a buster trade. <laughs> well, I I was I always you can I think you can tell the level of the trade by how nice the private jet is that comes to get the player because i was seeing the footage of the jet that flew pascal from toronto to indiana it was a beautiful plane but like the hardened jet last year where you know where daryl greeted them on the uh on the tarmac you know the the hardened jet you know if i was pascal i'd have said i want a blockbuster jet i want the g6 first of all don't give me the hawker it's not based on the level of trade. It's based how rich the freaking owner of the team that traded for the guy is. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. You think you th- yes. you, you think that uh, that the Pacers are sending a lesser jet for if they pull off if they've traded for OG and an OB? You think he would have gotten a lesser jet? <laughs> Honestly, I'm just making a joke. I'm making a reference to the Jets. I mean, Pascal Siaka might be the best player the Pacers ever traded for. Right, sir. He's not the best player on the roster that they traded for you, buffoon. Tyrese Halliburton. Well, but I'm saying at the time of the trade, like Halliburton hadn't made an All Star team yet. Like Siakam's got, like you said, Siakam's a two time All Star, two time All NBA player. All right, you're saying that he's the most decorated player at the time of the trade. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, listen, two time All NBA player, three first round picks. You know, with some asterisks involved or or involved, we can call it a blockbuster. Let's get excited uh, about it. Come on. All right. Well, it's certainly big for the Pacers who, you know, they're in seventh place, but the standings in the East are pretty packed. And when Halliburton comes back, uh, I mean, Siakam, you know, he is a guy who thrives in transition. Ooh. And obviously Halliburton, um, I think, I think we got the numbers from SIG. Um, the Pacers lead the league in, um, in transition points. And Halliburton has 88 assists in transition, which are the most of any player in the league. And he's obviously missed some time here. Siakam is was the highest transition player on the Raptors. So Halliburton, by the way, is questionable to play Thursday. I don't think okay. he's playing Thursday, but it seems like he's going to be back fairly soon from the Samson injury, which is very good news. 
This was very good news. Uh, Siakam has 170 points in transition, third most in the NBA. So if you already didn't think that the Pacers were must-see with, with when they've got the ball, I mean, they are going to fly up and down the court, and I think Pascal and Halliburton are going to love playing with each other. I absolutely think it was a worthwhile uh, trade for the for the Pacers. The two picks that they gave in the 2024 draft, now look, Somebody may take a pick in the 20s in this draft and may end up drafting a Hall of Famer. Every year, there are good players in the draft. However, right now, teams are not valuing 2024 picks very highly. Mm -hmm. So if you say he got traded for three first-round picks and just leave it at that, it's not really building in the nuance. It's not like Drew Holiday getting traded for three unprotected Bucks picks for when you know Giannis is going to be in his 30s or you know whatever, or the unprotected picks that the Suns gave to the Nets when Durant is going you know, would theoretically be in his late thirties. Just not a is not a fair it's not a fair assessment. I will say, however, that before well, first off, before I get into that, what did you guys think of, of Indiana making this move? Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit it. I think in terms of style of play, this is a perfect fit. You mentioned Halliburton leads the league in transition assists. Obviously the Pacers are setting NBA records for offensive efficiency. A lot of that is because they play fast and they surround. They've they've done a good job putting finishers and and shooters around Halliburton. Uh, Siakam is is an upgrade as far as the finishing goes. He this is more stats and info stuff. Seventy seven buckets in transition this year. It's the fourth most in the NBA. The best field goal percentage in transition among those with at least seventy five attempts. He's going to be flying down the floor, finishing, you know, buddy healed, uh, spacing it on the break. I mean, I just stylistically, it's a perfect fit. Uh, when you're the Pacers, you have to pounce when you have a chance to get star caliber players. And this whole thing of, well, hey, they could have just waited until free agency. When do the Pacers have success chasing stars in free agency? It's not a destination. They just did free agency. Yes, they did. It just happened. And now they have his bird rights. Now they can pay him more than anybody. You know, now they get him in there and he gets to play with Halliburton, you know, sounds like very soon, hopefully, uh, for the rest of the seasons. And I mean, it, it wasn't cheap, but you mentioned the three first round picks. One is basically guaranteed to be a bottom five pick this year because it's the it's the worst of the Thunders picks. And then, you know, their hope their hope and their own is in the 20s. Right now, I think it'd be 19. And basically, they gave up a rotation player to get a all-star caliber upgrade. I, you know, I think all NBA is a stretch, but an all-star t- caliber upgrade and a legit number two guy who fits well with their superstar. Yeah, I mean, again, this is not like the Knicks and Carmelo Anthony back in 2011, right? Where you knew that if he got the free agency, the Knicks could sign Carmelo Anthony. The Pacers don't sign prominent free agents like this. Uh, like I said before, it might be, I think Nate Duncan and Danny Rue were talking about their pod. He might be the best player they've ever traded for in terms of accolades and accomplishments before he arrived. Yeah. I mean, Indiana. they, they like, traded for Victor Oladipo who ended up being a great player, but he Victor was nowhere. Victor was, that was That's seen right. as a, a question. And they traded for Sabonis in the same trade turned out to be a great trade, but those guys were not That's anywhere true. near the accomplishment of Pascal Siakam. And frankly, Pascal's a, been a better player than Victor Oladipo basically his whole career anyway. So Victor had the one year before he got hurt. So this is a significant move from that standpoint for Indiana. 
And they keep Ben Matherin and Jairus Walker. They're yep. two recent mid to high lottery picks that they didn't obviously want to part with in the trade. If you go look at the trade Toronto Ben Matherin was with, the highest pick they'd had in 30 years. <laughs> right. And, and, and Walker's then, probably number two on that list. Yeah. They, well, they hadn't had a top 10 pick or a, top, a pick inside the top 10 since I think it was somewhere in the mid 80s. And I think it was Rick you know, Smith's. Yes, it was, it was like Rick, Rick Smith and George McLeod, like in the late 80s, I think. Yeah. So it's been, it was a really long time. They obviously were always a very good team. So they keep those guys, keep them on the roster. And by getting Pascal Siakam, who is, as you guys both said, fantastic fit with Tyrese Halliburton, also a fantastic fit with Miles Turner, who's a yes. very good floor spacing five. And so Pascal's up and down shooting at times is much less of a concern when you're playing him next to Miles Turner. Mm. And the Patriots have been having Obi Toppin play power forward for most of the season for them. Pascal Siakam is a gigantic upgrade. That's that. true. Like you can make an argument that the Pacers are now right there with the Knicks, with the Cavs, with these other teams that are trying with the, maybe Miami, though I think Miami probably deserves the benefit of the doubt when healthy. But you can make an argument Indiana's the fourth best team in the East behind in whatever order you want, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly. Like that's a that's a very big move. For this team to make to get a guy like Pascal Siakam, who, as you guys also both alluded to, clearly is interested in staying there. They wouldn't have made this deal <laughs> if he didn't want to stay there. Okay, time out. What? Time out. I don't think Pascal's given his interview yet. I know Masai had a press conference today. I don't think Kevin Pritchard or Rick Carlisle have talked about it yet because the deal got finalized late last night. Yeah. Obviously, people are going to use the verbiage that you just used. Oh, I'm interested in staying. All this stuff. There's no way they make this deal unless they're well, yes, pretty that was, certain. That was what I was he, getting to. I mean, basically, he's the, done everything but put the pin in his hand and signed yeah, it. The, that's the, right. The, negotiations, just like, the negotiations when free agency starts will take as long as to hand him a pin. It's just like the trade the Knicks made. Like The Knicks made that trade feeling very confident that OG Ananobi is going to be with their team long term. The Pacers, a small market team, doesn't make this kind of trade if they're not very confident that Pascal Siak is going to be on their team long term. So yeah. as you said earlier, Brian, they did their free agency now. They get a guy who is going to be able to fit perfectly with the way they want to play. Rick Carlisle, one of the more creative offensive coaches in the league, I'm sure is going to find all sorts of ways to use Pascal's skill set. They don't really have another guy on the team besides Halliburton who creates shots for people. Pascal's a terrific passer, can handle the ball, can do all kinds of stuff. He'll probably run the offense when Tyrese isn't on the court most of the time. So I really like the fit. And for Toronto, I mean, look, the Raptors should have made this move sooner. They should have yeah. got more for him, I think, than what they did. Because as you said, McMahon, if you look at the three first round picks, they're not three great picks. They're probably two, two non-lottery picks. One certainly at the back end of the first round. I just looked at it. The Pacers are tied for 18th right now in the lottery. And that's before they have Siakam on the team. And after Hal Burton's been hurt, like they've got a chance to be in the low to mid-20s at the end of the regular season. So you get two late first round picks and a weak draft. You maybe get a swing on a top four protected pick in a couple of years. Yeah, for I mean, an Indiana I'm, team, the Pacers hope they're three non-lottery picks, and I think if you're if you're looking at it, that's the most likely scenario. So, yeah. in European soccer, when star players change—not just European world soccer, but more high-profile European soccer—when high-profile players change teams, there's a bilateral negotiation. There's a there's negotiation between the player and the new team which usually takes place before a trade is agreed to. And they agree on a contract, you know, 
Team A in Germany wants a player in Spain. The player says, I want to play for you. Here's the offer. And they agree to it. And then the teams negotiate a transfer fee. And, you know, these tr these transfer fees, if they're super superstar players, get to nine figures. Okay. So there's two levels of negotiations. That's essentially, even though it's tampering and nobody will ever talk about it on the record, that's essentially what had to happen here. With Siakam, he had to let it be known that he was prepared and willing to sign with the team that would trade for him. Otherwise, he would be treated as a rental and he would not be traded for three first-round draft picks of any quality. So Siakam would have to say, I'll stay in Indiana. And how does he want to stay in Indiana? He gets communicated to him that they're willing to make an offer. You know, maybe there isn't any evidence of the Pacers saying, we will offer you a blank, blank year contract for blank, blank, blank. But there is an understanding. Probably didn't need to have that long conversation. Hey, you want to give Max? Yes. Okay, right. cool. Let's and do so it. that's important because if indeed the Raptors were willing and they were willing to make this pick for draft picks and expiring contracts, it leads you to wonder what other teams could have made such a move for Siakam. Well, this he, is sort of the this is sort of the thing though. The, the this is there hasn't been a robust market for Siakam from the beginning. And, and that's why, why is that? Well, I think it's a couple of reasons. One, I think you can, I think there's been some concern with teams about paying a guy who's about to be 30, a four or five year deal on a very I large number. I think you're being charitable. I think there's significant concern, including yeah. from well, the Raptors. Well, well, yes, that's definitely true, which is why the Raptors, I think, should have done this move sooner. I also think for as good as Pascal is, and he's a really good player, he's also kind of a wonky fit on a lot of teams because mm -hmm. of the way he plays. Like he needs to have the ball in his hands a good amount of the time. His shot has been very up and down. Yeah. So you're, you're, we've talked about it with Evan Mobley, right? Like if you're in Julius Randle, sometimes it's like this too. If you're a suspect shooting or non-shooting four, it makes kind of an awkward fit on a lot of teams. So you combine the age, you combine the play style, you combine the fit. There wasn't a huge market for him. And that's why the Raptors, you know, they take a deal that it's not a great deal, but given the market that was in place right now, and given the fact that when they traded OG and Obi, it's very obvious what direction the Raptors are headed in, which is they're building around Scotty Barnes and to a lesser extent, Emmanuel quickly going forward. Didn't make sense to have Pascal on the team past the trade deadline. And so now they get him off the team now, and you've got Bruce Brown coming back, who you could maybe flip again. You've got Gary Trent. You could maybe move him. They have a month yeah, to sort of figure out what they want to do with their team. Here's something to say about Bruce Brown. So Bruce Brown, $22 million contract, not guaranteed for next year, team option for $23 million. A player who had not produced at, this, at a high level in Indiana had lost playing time. Um, but a player who proved last year he can be extremely versatile player. Played four different positions for the Nuggets at times. Played yep. all over the place during the postseason. Don't think he's got... I mean, you know, I'm sure he'd like the Raptors to pick up that $23 million. I'd be very surprised if they did, but... Well, it depends. Like, if he gets traded to a team... Like let's say he gets traded to the to the Sixers just to make up a team, right? Well, okay. The Sixers well, let's say, well, what team would be interested in him? That's the well, there's, that's there's, the question now. There's I think any Knicks who have yep. Fournier's uh, expiring and well, he's in the same boat as Bruce Brown. He's got a team option for next year that you could pick up if you want to have it as another sure. expiring trade contract too. Sure. Well, the interesting thing about Bruce Brown is that I talked about this with Bobby the other day. Um, I talked about this when the, in relation to Boyan Bogdanovich 
The reason that a guy like Bruce Brown and Bogdanovich is interesting to the Sixers is because he gives them option. Those players give them optionality. Yeah. They can trade for them and say goodbye at the end of the season, or it's not hard to retrade them and open up cap space, or they can then hold them and their contracts then become end ending contracts that could be used again. Well, Bruce those- Brown also has one interesting other wrinkle, not to get too wonky, where if you wanted to re-sign him, you could decline his team option, sign him to a longer term, lower salary deal, and have him on your books for a while too. So you have a lot of flexibility with a good player who's proven to be a good fit on high-level teams. He was a key player for the Nets with KD and those guys before that. So whether it's the Sixers, whether it's the whether it's the Knicks, I mean, he would look great on the Lakers if they could find a way to get him. Any of these teams that are trying, like we talked about the other day, any team trying to find a guy who can hit an open three, even though Bruce isn't a great shooter, and be a versatile defender, that's a guy that fits on a lot of high-level teams. And, and handle the ball some. He handled the ball yep. fair amount for the Nuggets last year, which is something that people didn't, you know, people kind of looked at him as, well, he's a weird, undersized power forward, basically. And then he handled it a lot. For the, yeah, play back a uh, point most of the time. Yeah, and you know, a, a great cutter. He's a championship caliber role player. Um, and the Pacers threw a bunch of money at him. And essentially, what the Pacers ended up getting was a human trade exception. I mean, that, that yep. so, which they just used. You know, <laughs> yeah, which they just used. And hey, they benefited greatly uh from it. So yeah, now now the Raptors have a a, a similar team building tool in him, and I do think there will be uh, interest there i'd be surprised if he's on their team in a month i mean that's no reporting on my part if you just if you look at where they're at they could definitely get whether it's a young player or ask draft assets or some combination for him and for where they're at in their timeline it makes a lot more sense to do that than to have them stick stick around that's one of the reasons why you do the deal now maybe the pacers also wanted siakam in the fold for when halliburton was coming back i'm not sure how that goes well, the more but... games they can have him play the better like there's no right. reason for them to wait Right. You know, so and, and for uh, for the Raptors, I mean, as far as trading Siakam goes, it, it's better late than never. Like I, right? I would be curious. I don't, and I'm not sure this will ever come out. I'd be curious to know if there's any difference between the package that Indiana had on the table. That, I guess there would have had to be because Bruce Brown could have been. Indiana was was going to was trying to trade for him over the summer. I'd be curious to know what that package was and how it compares to this one, but. Yeah, we can talk about the value of picks, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's not like the Raptors haven't had success with late, mid to late first round picks before, including Pascal Siakam, including OG Ananobi. I mean, they've got a pretty good track record yep. of, of finding value later in the draft. And we can and talk about- It's a lot about, better than, like you said, it's a lot better than giving up, getting nothing like they got for Fred Van Vliet last summer. Yeah, and in the OG trade, they got two young guys who have played well for them and- you know, have a chance to be part of their core with Scotty Barnes for a while. Well, Masai Ujiri today, you know, he doesn't speak publicly very often. He said in the press conference today that there would definitely be more trades uh, before the deadline. That's an unusual, firm answer. Uh, but um, I mean, Gary Trent and Bert Bruce Brown both seem like very logical departures there yes. to me. Gary Trent's in the last year of a deal, paying him eighteen and a half. He also said that. Uh, Masai also admitted, which this is, I'm sure was reported, but it was certainly widely known within the NBA that the relationship between he and Siakam had deteriorated. He said that there were basically very little communication over the last year and that he actually apologized to Pascal for it. Regardless of that, 
it's hard to, people were wondering if Pascal was going to get an extension. It sounds like he wasn't even talking to Masai. So uh, obviously, you know, the player and the, and the GM don't have to talk uh, to, to do an extension, but it's certainly not the GM, the president, um, right. but it, yeah. it certainly, it would certainly help. Um, one of the teams that had talks with the Raptors and it was reported, uh, I don't know who reported it, so I don't know who to give credit to. I apologize. Honest failure was that you'd make uh, a crappy aggregator. I know. <laughs> I know. I feel like if, if someone's going to aggregate a podcast on social media, they have to actually provide the audio clip in the aggregation. If it's on social media, right, I just let's think not get into an aggregation. It's not hard to get aggregation. Into speech. I know. Aggregation. Let's not get, let's not get derailed. Let's get to the, what you were but like inflection about. of the voice matters. Like, you know, okay, let's, well, let's, let's move along. Anyway. Uh, the Kings were one of the teams that were had talks with the with the Raptors. It was reported by someone who I forget. Sorry, um, that You're just now we're, now we're, are we? Are we I know. Like I'm just. I just want to. I just want to set it. Just relax. <laughs> take a sip. That Siakam didn't want to extend there. I'm not so sure if he didn't want to extend there. Or the Kings didn't want to offer because they were willing to offer him what he wanted. I don't know why he wouldn't want to extend there. Not sure he's the perfect fit next to Sabonis. But it certainly would have been a talent upgrade, probably would have replaced Harrison Barnes in one shape or form. But, you know, the Kings didn't get that done. The Kings have not done major roster upgrades over the last year. They have seen Keegan Murray play well in his second year. They have had several opportunities to upgrade the roster and haven't. And they're coming off a couple of brutal, brutal losses. Losing in Milwaukee the other night where Dame Lillard hits like the 28 30 footer at the buzzer after they made a comeback in that game that was where mike brown had been ejected and then brought the uh the, the laptop the fifty thousand dollar film session <laughs> yeah which i appreciated but listen uh, i thought he got over fined i guess they well said, he got he got he got fined, he got fined for two actions yeah he got uh, fined as much for stomping around on the court as he did for that i know but listen the educational component of it i thought should have minimized the fine but go on the, the, the malik monk laughing while he was trying to hold mike brown back was maybe the the most amusing part even more than the the, the laptop of that entire circumstance so they lost that one wendy and then then they went to phoenix who mm. i'm trying to explain to you how bad the phoenix suns have been in the fourth quarter Ooh. It's like it's like it's like going to that moneyball line. There's the Suns, and then there's 50 yards of bleep. And then I think actually there's a good team who's 29th. I can't remember who it is. Well, we were but, texting about that game. I was at the Sixers Nuggets game and I looked at my phone and I was like, oh, they're down 20 with like seven minutes to go. And then I was doing media post game and these two started texting about the Suns winning the game. I was like, wait yeah. a minute, what? No, so like no, hold I spent, on. You, you said they're down 20 and Wendy has a sun story coming. Ha ha. Yeah. Oh yes. That, that I we had were a sun story. because Brian had the sun story coming. That's I had a sun story published today. And of course, you know, this was two days ago and, uh, and I was like, Oh my God, the I mean, window jinx published. appeared to be locked in. And then, well, anyway, the point is like, they, like, I think as of now, their net rating in the fourth quarter is minus 14. So per hundred possessions in the fourth quarter, you're getting outscored by 14 points per 100 possessions. The team that's 29th, I think, is 10. So they're like 40% worse right now. than the team in front of them. And that includes this fourth quarter the other night where they did this 22-point comeback and beat the Kings. Like, And trust me, but I entering, spent time... Entering Thursday's action, the action. Miami Heat are 29th 
in the league, minus 10.9 points per 100 possessions in the fourth quarter. The Suns, after the game the other night, minus 14.8 so possessions. So it's basically 15. Offensive rating, 103.5. Defensive rating, 118.3. Right. That is not good. So, <laughs> so and I, I had been writing in this story. I had written a section in the story about how they – have like really been rolling up their sleeves, like in film sessions and in meetings and in brainstorming sessions. What can we do about this fourth quarter? Like, like Vogel was saying, like, you know, it, we can't find a one reason. Like it's like with all kinds of different lineups and all kinds of different situations and with our big three, without our big three, with two of the big three, like with this lineup. So they're like doing all this stuff to try to deal with this gaping problem. And uh, then they come back from 22 down. Basically, Durant went off. Ooh. And so the Kings get kicked in the teeth and then get kicked in the in the, in the neck in, uh, in, yeah, <laughs> in back-to-back what... games. Um, By the way, Wendy, quick aside, your story had me in the first sentence headed to uh, the dictionary. I did not know what stolen meant. Stolid, I believe is how you well, pronounce it. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know how to say it either. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Well, I was just, I was just, you know, I was at this game where they played the Clippers and the Clippers just curb stomped them and they fell to 19 and eight and they had just lost the day before to the Grizzlies or 19 and 18. And they had just lost the day before the Grizzlies without Ja. I was the first game Ja missed where he uh, had the eventual shoulder injury. And they were just in a really bad place. The whole team was really, really cranky. Durant was in a surly mood. Like the whole team cleared out of the locker room within like 10 minutes. I mean, it was a night in LA, so they were going out. But this it was just real cranky. They were just not in a good place as a team. And Vogel was sitting there going, we're confident. We're going to get this done, whatever. And it like just immediately took me back to that day in 2019 where he got hired as the coach of the Lakers. And Magic Johnson had that very day come out on first take and just destroyed Rob Palenka, called him a backstabber. Uh, <laughs> the classic Stephen A's like, is there anybody else in the organization you're talking about? He's like, no, just Rob. <laughs> it's just like, matter of fact, like, what'd you do yesterday? Oh, I played golf. Oh, just Rob. And so there's a classic. So first off, Palenka has got to come up there and take on fire from the media about Magic Johnson just absolutely obliterated you 15 minutes ago on the number one rated uh, sports show in the country. Your thoughts. And Frank just sitting there. He's got this face like business as usual. Then our guy, Dave McMenamin, and like, it's awesome. Dave asked a question. Dave McMenamin, ESPN. Dave goes, hello, Frank. Uh, congratulations on getting the job. Rob, there was at least two other guys you wanted for this job. Uh, you wanted Ty Lue and, uh, and Monty Williams, and you hired at least your third choice here. What What went down with that? Like, like I respect Dave for asking the question. I, I highly respect it. I'm not making fun of it. I love that kind of question. But like right after Vogel's got to sit there and watch his new boss bat away this flaming missile from, from magic, he gets asked right in front of him, hey, you just hired your third choice. By the way, welcome, third choice. You just hired your third choice. And Frank absolutely never wavered for a split second. Knew what he was going to say and said, like, we're going to do A, B, and C. And he's one of the things he said was, I don't care about any of that. I'm going to build a defensive first team. We're going to be a great defensive team. They were the number one defensive team in the league. And yes, after COVID, they were the number one defensive team in the bubble and they won the title. And so I'm not saying it's apples to apples, but here I'm watching, I'm watching Frank Vogel 
you know, four and a half years later with the exact same face, the same expression on his face, talking about his team that is 19 and 18 with, you know, win or disaster type situation and going, we're confident. And it's just, it's the Vogel way. And there are indications that the Suns, now that they've got their three players, are turning it around. And the their shooting percentages, since with Beal on the court, have just exploded. Grayson Allen, uh, Beal's played, as we sit here and do this podcast, Beal's played 10 games since he came back from that ankle. He kind of had that, he had the back injury, then he came back for a minute, then it had another back injury. First game back, sprained his ankle. Since he's come back from that, they've played 10 games, they're seven and three. And in those 10 games, Grayson Allen is shooting 52% on threes and Durant is shooting like 48 or 49% on threes. The space that happens out there with Durant, Beal, and Booker there together is it's a dramatic difference. When, when now that Beal is on the court and can take some pressure off of Booker to be a playmaker, Booker's usage rate has gone from like Russell Westbrook 2015 Thunder like down to a more manageable time. It's not like 33 anymore. He can like, and his, his production, uh, his, uh, his energy level is, as uh, I think helped. That's part of the reason what was happening in these games. Booker was going to the bench in the fourth quarter and they had no playmaker. Mm-hmm. And these guys, part of the reason they were getting walloped in these fourth quarters was when Booker was off the court, the team collapsed offensively. They've softened that out a little bit. And Beal is starting, Beal looks good. Like he threw down a dunk in that Clipper game where he had great explosion. Like my jaw dropped. Then the next game against the Lakers, he threw in 37, where he looked moved, looked and moved really well to my eyes. And so, like, look, I don't, I'm not saying they're past it, but what I'm saying is Frank Vogel has been here before. He has got his process that they're working. And the thing that I've noticed as I talk to Booker, as I talk to Durant, as I talk to people in their organization, these guys are putting in the work. They are doing the film sessions. They are studying. They are coming in on their off days. They, there is a spirit to try to figure this out. It may not work. They're going up against a couple of awesome teams in the Western Conference. But just because they're 19 and 18, which they were, and they've won three in a row since then, doesn't mean that they're cooked. I actually think that they're progressing, if they can stay healthy, reasonably well. Kind of a giant yes. Kind of a giant. Yeah, well, well, that's the NBA. The whole NBA you know is what? a giant. It, it, no, it it's is. not. No, it's it not. Is. It's not it, the whole to NBA. To a certain degree, it is. I mean, we can say it's the same with the Mavericks. They've got two stars who have struggled to stay healthy. Kyrie and Luka have only played half of their 42 games as a duo of the Mavericks' 42 games. I want to go to up and down uh, the Western Conference, and there's a, there's a lot of those examples. Um, I do think that was a great uh, soliloquy. I think that's the proper Good use job. of that word. About the you were very stolid during that entire soliloquy. Good job. I was. There was also like a leaf blower going on outside, so I had to mute. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so you missed a few laughs. But um, I I think though we were trying to talk about the Kings, and you went off on a sun soliloquy. Sorry, it's because <laughs> it was because of Bontemps. He opened the door. It was a crazy comeback by the Suns. They do have some good things going. The Kings have gotten a little sideways here, and they have shown. Uh, an appetite to be aggressive in the trade market. I, I don't know that there's a desperation from the Kings, though. I think there's a desire to pounce on opportunities, but they, they you know, Sabonis has still got prime left. Fox is just entering his prime. Murray, who they f- are very, very confident, is a legit 
third star in the who's blossoming into the into being a third star is just approaching his prime. Look, I, I think that they would have to to be a real threat in the West this year. I think they'd have to make an upgrade before the trade deadline, but I don't think it is make that upgrade or bust as far as the big picture for that franchise. Look, DeMond is supposed to turn 28 until May. So right. they've got a lot of runway with the two of them and with Keegan Murray, who has taken some real steps forward and looks like a really, really promising young player on the wing where everybody's trying to find players. So, yes, they need to get better to be a real threat in the West. This is also a team that hadn't made the playoffs in almost two decades before last year. So, you know, I don't think they need to sprint into making a move to try to incrementally improve right now. I understand why they would have been interested in Siakam. That would have been a pretty big difference-making kind of piece, particularly if they're not giving up Keegan Murray, which they never were going to, to get him. So I understand making that kind of move. Otherwise, I would suggest that the Kings just be patient and let yeah. this thing percolate a little bit and wait for the right opportunities to come along to improve their team and not do anything rash, especially when their obligations from the Kevin Herter trade are going to come off this spring when they'll get, they'll give up a pick in that deal. And, you know, some of their guys like Herter has not shot the ball really at all the way he normally does this year. He's, I think, due to bounce back at some point in the second half of the year and play better. And, you know, it's been a particularly tough week, but I think they'll be fine. And on, and on Phoenix, I mean, yes, if their three guys are healthy, like we have all said from the beginning, they got a chance to be a really good team. But it, it's also not just a hand wave away, oh, injuries happens to anybody. But they, they've assembled a team with no depth and guys that get hurt all the time, as we've said many times. So, yes, let's see if they can have a stretch here where they're all in the court. But it's, I not, mean, no it's not something depth. to just dismiss as, well, everybody has injuries, so no big deal. Well, yeah, I agree that they don't have the depth of, like, some teams, but like Grayson Allen, he's having a pretty good season. He's having a very good season. He's having a really like, good season. They shooting, have like 10 players on minimum contracts. I think it's safe to say they don't really have depth. That's the whole he's point of their roster. The Grayson Allen is leading the league in three-point shooting percentage at six a game. Uh, I'm sure that that has something to do with the fact that he's so wide open. And but, that, but, but that's the idea, right? And Yeah, he's a, re- he's a really good shooter. Yeah. Yeah, and they were they were fortunate that he was the player that they got, kind of the mystery player in that in that trade. It was, it was you know? from what I understand in talking to the Suns, it truly was a mystery player. Yeah, they knew that the Trailblazers were, they knew they were getting Yusef Nurkic, right, and they knew they were going to get one more player, and they knew who the Blazers were talking to, but they didn't know who was in the deal. So, like the Suns were like literally studying. Raptors players like what happens if it's Gary Trent Jr. that we're going to get what happens if it's this team's player like they were preparing for like multiple players like who's going to arrive <laughs> who's going to arrive on the plane that we send to Portland to pick up Yusef Nurkic and they were thrilled that it was Grayson Allen because you know he's having a career year this year also and I know that this is wacky and Bontemps you can knock 500 holes in this and I really don't have anything that I can say, but the best five-man defensive unit in the NBA this year that's played over 100 minutes together, and I know 100 minutes isn't a lot, but Beal, Durant, and and Booker have played nine games in the same, so is on the Suns, and that is Booker, 
Grayson Allen, Durant, Nurkic, and Eric Gordon. You would not think that that would be a good defensive lineup. And I'm not saying if they play him another 100 minutes, they would still be number one. My point is, like, they have these little things that are going on that are successful, that Frank Vogel and those guys are trying to figure out how to put together. And these pieces are still all over the board. They are just figuring out where to put it in. By the way, if you spent 20 minutes, you could probably find some fourth quarter lineups that are among the worst. I'm not saying that there's not some things on the Suns that are they're on the opposite, but like there's fingerprints there of something that can go on. Now, if the standard being the Nuggets and the Clippers, which are the classes of the West, selling the idea that they're going to outlast one if or have to be both those teams, I agree it's a tough sale, but it's January. Uh, and, but I, I would be very careful counting the sums out of anything right now. Well, yes, you've made that clear since September. So we, we are aware. I'm glad we're allowed to talk about the Suns because before you said they had to have 20 games as a uh, as a star trio under their belt. So I'm glad. I say they need to have 20 games before you can even begin to think about judging how they're doing. Yes, they've got nine games. That trio does have a uh, plus 14 and a half point net rating in 175 minutes together. We can go through lineup data and find a lot of reasons to be encouraged about the Suns, and I and I say that with seriousness. Um, you know, look, we, we were discussing Kings. <clears throat> we took this detour over to the Suns. Sorry. If you're, no, it's fine. But if my point is, if you're asking me like which team, if I had to bet on one or the other to come out of the West, which one would I bet on? It'd be Phoenix. And I don't think that'd be a difficult decision. You know, if you ask me who do, who would you want to bet on over the next, uh, five-year window, then it'd be Sacramento. For obvious reasons, because KD will be 40 in five years. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What about two-year window? Because that's what this is, really. I got to mute the leaf blower's back. <laughs> he doesn't want to answer that question, Bon Temps. What I, yeah, mean, I mean, look, well, it, it I mean, Phoenix is Phoenix is in an immediate window. So and got over the next year, 15 years, we'll I'm betting on the Lakers over the Timberwolves. How about that? How about that hot take? That is a that is a very hot take. I'll bet on the on the next 26 years, I'll bet on the Celtics over the Magic. And upset all the Orlando fans. <laughs> Five years. Speaking of the Lakers, they've they've uh, they've potentially found some stuff. Five years, yes. is like the rest of Sabonis is prime. We all know how much you love Sabonis. Once again, having my words twisted, I was just simply saying that Sabonis. Well, we're not stink. doing. We're not doing that. Like the move, way you move on. To you the guys acted thing. like they traded a bag of balls. It's not. That's, that's also not what happened. We don't need to relitigate that. Please go on to the next thing. I know this. Sabonis is one tough dude because Draymond stomped and jumped on him, and you hurt your ribs worse when you fell on a boat. Oh <laughs> my god, it hurts so bad. There's no arguing that. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Anyway, Bontown's mentioned the Lakers. They have won several in a row here. Darvin Ham was kind of forced to going back to his opening night lineup. Cam Reddish went down with a knee issue. And so he started the season playing Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell together. They were getting destroyed in first quarter after first quarter. So he broke them up, put Reeves on the bench. They had a little bit of success, but then kept getting destroyed in first quarter after first quarter. He took D'Angelo out of the starting lineup and brought both of them off the bench and moved LeBron to point guard. LeBron's production slid. All of his numbers slid as he had to play point guard. They really weren't much better in the first quarters. So he brought Reeves back. And then after Reddish got hurt, brought Russell back, who'd been slumping for basically six weeks. And since he's done that, 
Russell's had two of his best games of the season and Anthony Davis's uh, assist totals have ballooned. Now, Anthony Davis is having an excellent season. His number is almost exactly the same as last year in terms of points, rebounds, assists, blocks, what have you, with the exception of games played. I was going to say, that's the that's the that's yeah. the difference. He's been and on the court. So, he's putting up he's putting up numbers at Anthony Davis level and LeBron is playing in every game putting up LeBron numbers, but the Lakers are 500 because they just couldn't score. So the last few games, D'Angelo has refound it, and all of a sudden, AD is racking up assists. I think he's got 25 assists the last three games, the most that he's had in the three-game stretch in any three-game stretch in his career. That's because he's throwing the ball. He's The ball's coming inside. He's kicking it out to a guy who's making the outside shot. And for, like, I think the third time this season, I think it's the third, Darvin came out after the game and said, this is going to be my starting lineup for a while. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he's had a lot of commitments to start in lineups, that's for sure. <laughs> um D'Angelo Russell is a high-variance player. He's been a high-variance player throughout most of his career. And with the way the Lakers are constructed, if he's going well, they're going to look good, especially if AD and LeBron are healthy. If he doesn't look doesn't go well, they're going to struggle to score. Right now, they're running hot, and it just so happens to coincide with the time when the Lakers were getting pretty serious about trying to trade him, quite frankly. But yeah. they haven't traded him yet, and they might not trade him because they might not be able to find a deal that fits. But... That's what's happening right now. And so they do play uh, the Nets, who are going through a hell of a run right now. Uh, but the Lakers are still in this stretch where they're playing all these games in Los Angeles, and there's still a chance for them to get a little bit of traction before the trade deadline. Well, we've seen over the past couple of years that there's a couple constants with the Lakers, right? One of them is they're not a good three-point shooting team. They don't shoot high volume. They don't make a lot of them. But with D'Angelo Russell shooting well, that starts to change, right? He's had, like you said, he's had some good games recently. Him and Austin Reeves are hitting shots. That changes a lot of what they're doing. The other thing we've seen consistently is the Lakers really do well against smaller teams, right? You go back to last year in the playoffs, obviously Memphis had a bunch of injuries in the front court. The Warriors were a small team. Lakers did really well in those matchups. On Monday, they played the Thunder. Thunder, terrific team. We've talked about them a bunch, but they're not a very big team on the front line across the board. Lakers yep. have a couple wins against them, have played well against them. That game on Monday, they forced Oklahoma City to shoot a lot of threes. That's not really what the Thunder like to do. And that matchup worked pretty well for them. Dallas, same thing, smaller team. Obviously got Derek Lively at center, but he's not a massive guy. They're playing Derek Jones at power forward. He's not that big. Like they don't, they're just not that big. Right. So mm -hmm. those are, those are matchups that work for them. And the other thing is those two teams combined to go 26 for 89 from three. And so if the Lakers are able to physically pound teams inside and force them into being jump shooting teams or, and those jump shots aren't falling, they can look like a really good team. That's the formula they have to take. Now, when you look at going through Denver, which is not a small team, they have to figure <laughs> they out. They are the way. opposite of small. That's right. That's why they're a very bad matchup for the Lakers, as we saw in the sweep. So they still have to figure out a way. Did to they get swept? That. I didn't know that. They did, believe it or not. But you, they they do have a formula when those two guys are healthy. Like we have seen over the past couple of years, when they do play good teams and they're able to use and leverage that size against these smaller teams, they have had success even against teams you'd think they're not going to beat. So if you are a Laker fan looking at it. That is, I think, at this point, what you have to say is a pretty constant positive for this group, that if they get the right kind of matchup, they can really lean into it and take advantage of it because just how big and imposing they are across the front line. Well, there's one third constant or a third constant with the Lakers, and that is that our colleagues will drastically overreact to 
any little dose of Lakers success. You got Gotta that have right, hope, buddy. Tim. Gotta have um, hope. B block Listen. of uh, first take today. I was on, and what do you think the topic, the lead topic was? It wasn't the Siakam trade. Are Lakers, the Lakers, Lakers winning Lakers. not just one championship, not just two, but the next three in a row? I'm I'm looking at the ESPN NBA account. They they tweeted a clip from the NBA Today show, the Malik Andrews production today, and the quote is, "Are you picking the Lakers in a Clippers series?" Which reminds me of the debate last year, right around this time, when the entire panel. Pick Are the you Lakers picking the Lakers in a hypothetical series against the freaking Denver Nuggets? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the Clippers have only won beaten. like 90% of the matchups against the Lakers in recent years, but the Lakers are not beating the healthy Clippers in a playoff series. Key word that is healthy, right? And that gets oh, back that's an if that's yeah. an if. Okay. Well, you? Listen, they have a similar it's level of if right? to the Suns. With their with their guys always being hurt. well, but again, we can talk about the Pelicans with, with Zion in particular, as well as their other guy. I mean, everybody's got questions, and a few of these sure. teams have huge questions. But the Lakers have played well over the last few days to get back to five hundred. Let's just keep that in perspective. To get back to five, that's right. That's true. But why? The, we'll keep the banging the drum. Relevant, the reason it's relevant for us who don't prioritize the Lakers and occasionally have banned talking about them is because. Because they are out there trying being one of the teams that you could see making a significant move. Yeah, they are dangling and, the, the the pick, the, the first rounder that they have available. They're certainly dangling D'Angelo Russell, which as far as I can tell, has not generated just a ton of interest around the league. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I just keep not dangling on. Austin Reeves. Right. Well, that's why I'll just keep banging on what they have to do over the next three weeks to have a chance is find volume three-point shooting and that can so, at least sort of stay on the court at the other end. That's what they have to try to find because their three-point right. shooting is non-existent and you can't win at today's NBA if you're dead last in attempts and dead last in makes every game. You just no, can't. E even with two superstars, if you're that poor with three-point shooting team, then the Mac 10 seed nickname will be appropriate. Unless you are absolutely are killer place. on the defensive end, which they were last year. But they're not the going to be good enough to beat bigger teams that way. Like we've seen again. Look at the formula. If you want, like they, if they get matched up with smaller teams, they they will have a puncher's chance because of their size. But you if know, they're going it, up against a team like Denver, they got to have more shooting. They got to have more scoring, and they have to have those guys that can actually hold up at the other end of the court. Because they just get more guys that can't guard anybody, then they're in the same position they're in now. And you well, mentioned that they match up well against the Thunder, and the Thunder have taken another massive leap this year to the point where, like, they are in the conversation of of contenders. Um, which I like the idea of them taking a big swing before the trade deadline. I think is a waste of breath. But the idea of them looking for some, you know, a, an enforcer type, I, I think, is something that could be considered there. Chet Holmgren is having arguably the best center or the best season ever by a stretch rim protector. And that's a lot to say about a rookie, but I think it might be true. Have you guys um, kept an eye at all recently on Mr. Wimbanyama? Oh, no. He's, as, since he's been a five, his production. Is, <laughs> I mean, guys, he's playing well and his team continues to be annihilated. Um, but just. Well, okay, fine. Thunder, I don't, I don't care. The, the, the. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a knock on him. It's just, that's the truth. The other guy is playing on a team that's going to be 
first or second in the West at the rate they're going. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. I don't he's get playing with a guy who might win the MVP. It's, I, you know. I agree. It's just, you know, that's no knock on Victor. Victor's playing great. He's going to be awesome. The idea of being able to occasionally slide Chet to the four against certain matchups, I think is, is appealing. Yeah. I mean, look, we, they have a very small team across the board and if they if they are going up against a team like the Lakers or frankly against Denver in the playoffs, when Brian's talked a lot about it, when you're rolling out there with Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. and Nicole Jokic yeah. at three, four, five, that that's a big ass team across the board. And the Thunder have a bunch of wings and Chet. Like they could use a little more bulk up front. Doesn't mean, like you said, they don't have to empty the war chest to do that. But if they could add some size on the wing or inside between now and the deadline, I do think it would help them in these kind of matchups in the playoffs because it is going to be a real thing for them to combat. And we have to start looking at them like that kind of team because they're going right. to be in the playoffs and they are they have to start looking at, okay, how do we match up with these teams? And frankly, if you're looking at it over the next three to five years, because certainly Oklahoma City is looking at this from a longer-term view, it's not like Denver's going anywhere. Like right. that's the team you're, you've got to be measuring yourself against going forward. And their size isn't going anywhere either. So Denver that's is, something that they have to think about. Denver is one of those teams when you see them play live, it blows you away. Like they, they're, you know, obviously anybody can watch them on TV. Well, not anybody, but, uh, <laughs> not anybody in watch, Denver. Wendy says when you see them live, cause that's the only way you can see them. <laughs> when oh, you yeah. see them play, uh, like I remember the first time I saw them live when they had those three guys, Gordon, this was like three years ago, yeah. like after the trade, I was like, damn. Like, you know that they're, you know what their size is. You watch them play on TV, but until you actually see how it impacts angles on the court. I mean, I remember I, I saw him play in a game in Oklahoma City. The, 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 uh, it was a non important game. The Thunder were no good. But like, I was watching like the way that they got into passing lanes and stuff. Even, and that was back when Porter's back was hurting him and he wasn't moving very well. It was like, right. I mean, it's it's a real thing. Speaking of the Nets, I know, Bontemps, that you have talked about, boy, they should try to pull Dorian Finney-Smith out of Brooklyn, the Lakers, or anybody. Any good and, team. I, and I was rejecting the idea that the Nets would sell players. But <laughs> I don't know if you've kept an eye on the old Nets of Brooklyn. But Let's just they give are... it the 15-second recap. Since they tanked the game against the Bucks, they're 1-9. And, and in their last three games in the United States, they lost in overtime to Portland, overtime to Miami, and just lost at the buzzer to Portland on Wednesday night. And in the game that wasn't in the United States, they were intentionally found Tristan Thompson down 20 in pairs. So that game was never competitive. That was no. that game was never competitive. By the way, in that game against what were, you were at that game against the Heat. I was at both of those games, the first two, not the one in Portland last night. Uh, okay. What was the score of that game at the end of regulation? It was 80, it was 88, was it, it, it was either 86, it was 88, 88. It was in the 80s. Yeah. It, it was, it was a 1990s game. Listen, it was 50, <laughs> it was 45 to 31 at halftime. The Heat went four for 22 in the second quarter and didn't make a three in the first half and the game was competitive. Well, that's when I like, proposed to you gentlemen a, a new rule that any team that doesn't score at least 90 points in a game, I'm going to revise that and say in regulation should be fined. It should be a fine. It is. It is pretty much impossible to do regulation in today's NBA. You should be fined. It's it's a very difficult feat. Or fans should be able to get the damn money back if they bought a ticket. I like the latter. Let's do that. Yeah. So just as a recap, they were fifteen and fifteen when they elected right. to play guys a few minutes at the start of the game, which they got. How much did they get fined? A hundred thousand. Hundred thousand dollars. 
They tanked the game, got fined $100,000, and have gone one and nine since then. And now we're about to go into a very brutal stretch of schedule. That's two public film sessions. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, and now they've begun a West Coast trip where they're going to now be in LA uh, against the Lakers and Clippers on Friday and Sunday. That's Um, another small team for the Lakers to feast on inside. That's true. So, uh, the Nets are now eighth in the lottery odds. And of course, that means that Houston has the eighth best lottery odds. Who would go on in the season that the pick that the Rockets own, that is the Nets, would be better than the pick that they're sending to Oklahoma City? The one thing I will say is after they get back from LA for these two games, they do play 10 of the next 11 games at home. Oh, they've got a huge home court advantage, especially right now. Especially <laughs> Look at that first game against the the first games against the Knicks. Um, Definitely be a big time home court advantage. No one will take the subway from Manhattan. I mean, the question is like. Look, I don't think they're trade. If they trade Dorian Finney-Smith, they're crazy. If they put if they put him on the market, I. Why? Why? why wait a minute. Why would it be crazy? Because why? he's a very valuable player who has a, a very good, good contract. He's a valuable he's player a- to a good team. Yeah, what's well, they the want to be a good a mediocre... They, they well, want to be a good on, team next on, year. Hold on, Look, straight hold up, on. here's the here's the Nets problem. There's no benefit in them being bad because the Rockets own all their draft capital. If if not for the disastrous James Harden deal, then they would be able to say, look, time to blow it up and probably, you know, want to keep bridge. You know, you're talking about you want to keep bridges, you want to keep, you know, this guy or that guy and rebuild around them and and you'd be fine with bottom bottoming out but bottoming out is just salt in the wound of everything you gave up for James guys I'm I can't speak to what the Nets are thinking right this very second but the word through the NBA is the Nets are attempting to be buyers well listen the Nets the Nets the Nets leadership when they took over the team from after Billy King and Bobby Marks got let go had all their picks sent out and they were very happy to lose a billion games and give mm-hmm. up top three picks to the Celtics because they didn't make any trades for those picks. But now that their picks and their trades are on the books, now we're looking at things differently. To me, that is not the way they should be looking at it. They should be looking at it as we need to be trying to reorient this team, trying to get stuff as we can for the players we have on our team. And frankly, Dorian Finney-Smith is never going to have more value than he does right now with the time he's got left on his contract and the fact that there are not a plethora of options on the market for teams to trade for. Now, to your point, it doesn't mean the Nets will do it. His teammate is Royce O'Neal. Well, right. Like, if they could get – they have a lot of wing players on their team, and they could get a ton for Dorian Finney. Like, look, if they made some trade with the Lakers involving D'Angelo Russell in their first, the crazy thing is we've – I think very fairly analyze how D'Angelo Russell is. However, the Nets don't have anybody who can really create offense on their team. D'Angelo Russell would be an actual upgrade for them and would probably help them win more games. Ben than Simmons has entered on the, the chat, right sir. Now. Ben Cam Simmons Thomas is their franchise Cam Thomas says, Hey, they could start D'Angelo Russell and Cam Thomas and then have uh, Bridges guard one through three, and I mean simultaneously. Well, listen, Cam Thomas Cam Thomas <laughs> shoots the ball. He doesn't create offense for anybody He'd be else. switching. He, he'd be doing the switch on pick and rolls. He'd be switching with himself. Yes. <laughs> but my point, my point is that, like McMahon said before, if you have Dorian Finney-Smith, 
he's the kind of guy like Bruce Brown that's really going to help a good to very good team. Yes. Or like OJ Anunoby with the Knicks. You put him on the Knicks, a good to real, very good team, he's going to amplify your really good players. He's going to hit spot-up shots. He's going to defend. He's going to fill in gaps. He's going to help you a lot. He's a on great a mediocre player to bad team. Of stars. He's a great that's complimentary right. player. Um, on a mediocre to bad, bad team. Yeah. Yeah. On a mediocre to bad team, he's just not helping. So I think it would be very wise of the Nets to go that oh. direction. We'll see what they do over the next three weeks. And it really does get down to this. They are they are getting killed by both James Harden trades. The one where they gave up all the draft capital to get them is yep. just it has them paralyzed. And then the one where they moved them and now they're stuck with the bloated carcass that is the Ben Simmons contract. Both well, the James Harden yeah. trades are absolute killers. Well, and if you go back and look at where Philly's at. We didn't, we didn't really talk about the game on Tuesday with Denver, which is a heck of a game. But if you look where Philly's at right now, even though James Harden left and yeah. they ended up trading him and getting the stuff back, like the situation they got themselves into with James Harden compared to just never being able to move Ben Simmons and what like that other potential path they were on, like it, it's remarkable the difference in the two situations. And mm -hmm. they're just, if, I mean, if they were stuck there, who knows what we'd be talking about where Joel Embiid and the Sixers would be at. And that's where the Nets well, are at, look, where they just have had, the Suns, just, Ben Simmons has just been a zero the from Suns the moment have, he got there. The Suns have plenty of assets. The, the Mavericks, the, I'm sorry, the, the Suns because the of the Suns picks. The Nets, because they have yeah, all yeah. that Suns stuff. Right. They have Maverick stuff. But they have assets, but bottoming out doesn't benefit them because they don't have their own picks. Which is why I don't think they will. Right. <laughs> which is why I don't think they're trading a guy who's a highly valuable player who's on a very good contract. Well, I guess He's, my argument is I don't think they're going to bottom out if they trade Dorian Finney-Smith. They're just going to get stuff for him. Right, right. He's not, yeah. They're, they're a bad team now, and they have to, like, they have to operate as a bad team. It's, they have to just, you can't fool yourself into thinking you're a piece or two away when <laughs> you're as bad as they are. Well, they were 500 at Christmas and we're protecting their players for a long run. So I don't think they view themselves as a bad team. Well, so. the standings do. Bontemps, you mentioned the Nuggets-Celtics game on Friday. You were at the Nuggets game in Philly on Tuesday. One of the more enjoyable games to watch of the season. Came right down to the final minutes. Jokic and Embiid going back and forth. Embiid playing on the second night of a back-to-back -back and approaching the game like it was a early-round playoff game. I won't say late-round playoff game. Just came out wanting to kill, had a 40-point, 10-assist night. It's funny, his 30-point, 10-rebound streak. How long was that streak? Why, why would you say later? 16 oh, games. Because he's never been in one. <laughs> 16 <laughs> games? 16 games in a row. Tied with Kareem for second all-time behind Wilt, who did it five times more than that, which is another amazing Wilt stat. Right. Anyway, his streak of 30-point, 10-rebound games ended, but his double-double streak stayed alive because he had 10 assists, 40 and 10 and assists. And his 30-point streak extended to, I think, 18 or 19 in a row. I don't remember exactly how many it was. Yeah, that's uh, that's getting in pretty historical territory. Yeah, I mean, look, Joel is playing at an unbelievable level. And it's, I mean, his jump shot at this point, it's a shock when he doesn't make it. Mm -hmm. it I mean, it. I, I mean, I was texting with a couple of people during the game on Tuesday. At this point, he's almost like Kevin Durant plus 100 pounds. He's unbelievably skilled. He can score at all three levels. He's creating offense himself. He's got one of the best jumpers in the league. I mean, it's remarkable the weapon he's turned himself into as an offensive player. And Nick Nurse mm -hmm. has him 
handling the ball and moving the ball more, some out of necessity because they only really have him and Tyrese Maxey to handle the ball, and some because Joel's made real strides as a passer. So, you know, I'm very curious. We got three weeks till the deadline. I don't think they were ever going to get in on either of the former Toronto guys, OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam, but those guys are off the board. It's going to be very interesting to see what the Sixers do. Do they, how do they upgrade this team? How much do they upgrade this team? What moves do they try to make? Because there's a real opening after Milwaukee lost Wednesday. They're tied in the loss column, I believe, with Philly. The real <laughs> Milwaukee opening was down get, by 47. Right, no Cavs. Giannis in, in Cleveland. Good win for the Cavs. But the Cavs we'll have see. won six in a row. Yeah, Cavs are playing well. But there's an opening for Philly to get to second. So let's see what happens with the Sixers. Can they make some moves to get that two seed, which I think would be super important for them. But they obviously have to upgrade this roster if they want to compete with teams like Milwaukee and Boston in the playoffs and be a real threat instead of just being sort of in between the group of teams behind them and Milwaukee and Boston in front of them. And you said it earlier, just watching Denver up close, because obviously I don't get to see them nearly as much as McMahon does because they're I'm, I'm out east most of the time. It's so fun to watch them play. Because the way they move the ball and the way they play, and they're kind of they're kind of like later stage LeBron teams now, where they've played together for so long, they're all almost feels like they're on autopilot a lot of the time, and they're just going through these games, not going through the motions, but like they just know what to do and how to do it, and they've got all these guys on the floor who can make plays and shoot from the perimeter, and it's it's super fun to watch, and. It it does feel like we've all kind of slept on them a little bit. And people are talking about the Lakers Ooh. and talking about the Clippers and talking Make about yourself. the Thunder. No, I just mean <laughs> I just mean for how well they're playing because they like LeBron teams of of old, like the Miami teams that I believe were never the one seed in the East. They're sort of just biding their time to get to the playoffs. And I sort of wonder if they're not going to have a similar run through the West playoffs, if assuming health that they did last year, because they're just going to be head and shoulders above. Well, nobody's nobody's worried about that time that. of the year. Right. Well, and but you mentioned they got a bunch of shooters around Joker. They got a bunch of cutters, which is last two. Aaron Gordon yep. is like the the chemistry that those guys have, and I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the number of dunks that Gordon gets because him and Joker are on the same wavelength, and he's cutting to the basket, and Joker yeah, like four in the game Tuesday. Yeah, Joker it was amazing. I think there have been games this year where Aaron, where all of Aaron Gordon's baskets were dunks, and he didn't have three three yeah, baskets. And, and like he's had five or six. Joker, you know, obviously the two man game with Joker and Murray is phenomenal. Michael Porter Jr. is an underrated cutter. He's really good at at not only moving uh, to to get open for threes, but he's a he's an underrated cutter. And then Joker's the best passer in basketball. Period. Not the best seven foot passer. He's the best passer in basketball, period. Yeah. Um, but the the Sixers, it's funny. Embiid has become he's not Joker. There's there's nobody else that that's Joker at that position, but Embiid is averaging six assists a game and has has become a phenomenal passer. And it's crazy. Embiid is maybe the strongest dude in the league, seven foot two, is averaging 35 points per game, shooting 54% from the floor. And has only dunked 15 times in half a season. That's an amazing stat. It's like, but his 15 footer is damn near as efficient as most big men uh, around the basket. You just never think he's going to miss when he shoots that elbow jumper. Like, it's ever. not even a and jumper. He just, it's a little, it's just a little set shot over it. No one's getting to it. By the way, by the way, that was the he's second played 900 best. and 
He's played 991 minutes, by the way, and has scored 1,017 points. He remains over a point per minute played, which no one has done since, well, the year he scored 100 points in a game. It's the only time uh, it's ever been done. That was the second best stat I heard this, this week, McMahon. The best stat I heard this week was on our broadcast of the Lakers-Mavericks game on Wednesday night. I didn't see this in our game notes, but I assume that this is from Stats and Info. LeBron James has played against 35% of all of the players in NBA history. I saw that too. It's jaw-dropping. Now, that hits me on several levels. One, it's amazing. Secondly, how old I am, because I've been covering the league as long as LeBron's been in it. Yeah. And you've covered 35% of the players in NBA history. <laughs> well, it is funny. Like when you just think about it, I hadn't really thought about it besides going, holy cow, that's a huge number. But with the way rosters have expanded and the fact that he's played like what close to a quarter of the history of the whole league, you start to think about it that way. It's like, yeah, like it does sort of make sense from that standpoint, just like purely from a number standpoint, but it's, yeah, it's just an unbelievable I guess the league is 77 years old. He's played in 21 of them. Yeah. So it's, it's up around. Right. And obviously at the beginning there was eight, there was not 30 teams. There was eight teams or whatever, but yeah, now yeah. there's more teams with more ro- bigger rosters, et cetera. But still like, it's, it's amazing. I wonder well, how LeBron last to play against someone else's grandson. Like he's played with all these guys, fathers and sons. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, there's been a ton of father son pairings. Well, um, he played with someone's grandson. <laughs> Is there like a guy who was like 41 when LeBron started? And if he gets like year 25, like it'll be like a 19 year old grandson who's coming. <laughs> that might be. <laughs> also, hey, LeBron might play with it. He might end up playing with his own grandsons. The guy ain't slowing down. I have to say it was, it had to be a pretty cool moment for him. Post game. He's giving his interview his post-game interview. And he's like involved in the interview talking about their win. And he's watching Bronny yeah. on ESPN. USC. I don't remember who USC was playing. Arizona. Yeah, They're getting their butts kicked by Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> they. If you did hadn't heard the interview, somebody goes, "How's Bronny doing?" He's like, "He's doing okay." How's USC doing? They've been better. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, it reminded me when LeBron was giving like giving you know comprehensive answers while watching and commenting on his son's play. It reminded me of one of my favorite LeBron moments. I told the story on first take today. It was just an average game in the middle of the season, right about now in, in Cleveland. I think it was the second time around. Um, Might've been the first time around though. Who knows? It was like somewhere between eight and 12 years ago. And we're in the post game locker room doing the interview with LeBron post game. And there was another NBA game on that was on the big screen in the Cavs locker room. And it was the last second play. It was like a last possession. And it was a side out of bounds play. And LeBron, in the middle of the interview, in the middle of an answer goes, oh, they're going to run a side pick and roll here. And it's going to be a decoy. He's going to reject the screen and go around and hit the guy on the backside. It wasn't like, oh, they're going to throw the ball to Jokic. It was, it was right. not like, uh, you know, baseline level analysis. And if I remember correctly, it was like, it was not like an Eastern Conference team. It was like a Western Conference game, like a team that, you know, he wouldn't necessarily know. And like, when I say the play, I wish I could remember the exact details. The I, the play played out exactly. It was exactly what he called. And I think the guy missed the shot, and so it, it'll be lost to history what it was. He, in the middle of an interview, like glanced up at the TV and exactly predicted a play. I was like, and he just, I remember I did a story about LeBron's incredible memory, and Chris Bosch told me a story about like watching NFL games with LeBron, and like, you know, they'd be watching 
Indianapolis play Minnesota. And like this guy from Minnesota, like the safety would come up and make a big stop. And the Brown was like, yeah, man, he was all conference at Colorado state. And Bosch was like, what? Like this wasn't Troy Palomalu, you know, like, it was, you know, like, so anyway, I liked, I liked that moment. It brought me back to when I hadn't seen well, the all time, a lot of the all time great players, whether it's him or Jokic or those guys, like it's their, I mean, people don't talk about it quite as much, but it's their mind that separates them from everybody else mm -hmm. and the way they see the game and the way they can spot stuff happening before it happens. And th those two guys in particular, like you watch LeBron and you watch Jokic, like that's a big part of what makes them special is they can see what's happening five steps ahead of everybody else. It's why Jokic does that pass the other day where he is literally just staring at half court and just throws it over his head right there in Gordon because he just was like, well, I saw him a few seconds before and I just assumed he'd be there just through the ball like you know like nobody else is doing stuff like that so it'll be very fun to see them play boston tomorrow many people thought that'd be the finals last year i certainly thought it would be and we will see if it's the finals in a few months maybe we'll always just we, <laughs> yeah, well no, i just I mean, but the eight seeded heat going into that series i think it's fair to say most people were not picking them to win bpi certainly was not picking them to win there it is yeah well i thought even when it was it was 3-3, and I thought, okay, well, they're still going to win. They're still going to go to games, you know, win game seven. Anyway, all right, we'll talk about all that as it comes up. Thank you to Bontemps. Thank you to McMahon. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you for listening this week, and we will talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.